0: What do you wanna da, da da da? What do y'all wanna da da da? I've not a da with da da da. We could switch to progressive da. Oh yeah, we could switch to progressive and sa. we could sa and have to buy some za. Oh yeah, let's switch to progressive ta, da and get some za with the money we saw. Yeah. Now we know we're gonna da da da.
1: These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to progressive. It might just be the most normal thing you da ta, da da. Quote da at progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates.
0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Inside Line Formula 1 podcast. Guys, we're back from Spa, back from the Belgian Grand Prix. And straight into the studio, we've come to record for y'all, so it's been quite hectic.
2: Well, I honestly wish we would have said that we're back from Spa, straight into the studio and off to Monza tomorrow. But I think time has to wait for that. Viral,
0: <laughs> I, I think, I hope you remember that nothing stops us from visiting literally all the races on the calendar except for time, goddammit.
2: And life, except for time <laughs> and life, but... It was I such... thought
0: you'd say that the podcast is your life and Formula 1 is your life and you know, we ride on the spot and that is your life, but okay.
2: Well, you know, as you guys know, we have a moving, a traveling setup so that we do podcasts from the circuits and the racetracks when you visit them. But for now, I am pleased to be in the studio. And uh, you know, honestly, at some point, we could do a back-to-back race weekend next year as well. Because there's going to be seven back-to-back racing Grand Prix weekends in the 2020 Formula 1 calendar. You know, Formula 1 is going to try and squeeze, or actually they are squeezing, 22 races between March and November. But before we begin, we'd like to pay our respects to Antoine Hubert, who we, of course, know lost his life in a freak Formula 2 crash. You know, it was one of those dark days of motorsport back in our lives again.
0: And guys, it's also a very sobering reminder that motorsport is dangerous. I think a lot of us forget that. And these drivers are literally risking their lives every time they go out there, they go racing for our entertainment and all of that. So, let's remember.
2: Yes, rest in peace and you will be dearly missed.
0: So, in this week's episode of the Inside Line Formula 1 podcast, we're going to talk about why the Italian Grand Prix is going to be a cracker.
2: And this is not just because of Ferrari versus Mercedes battle, if I can you know, sort of understand where this is going, mm-hmm. but we are also going to share some of our best paddock experiences from Spa.
0: And we wonder how soon before McLaren reunites with Mercedes?
2: We launch a What Nico Said This Week section because Nico Rosberg has been saying a lot and a bit too many things every couple of days.
0: And Congratulations to one of our most avid listeners, Mark Woth. Congratulations on becoming a grandfather and welcoming little Felice
2: into the world. Congratulations, Mark. Here's wishing your granddaughter good health and happiness. Guys, remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, Audio Boom, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and every other audio streaming platform that you have on your phone, your tablets, and your laptops, because they're pretty much everywhere. So, remember to subscribe to our channel for your weekly dose of Formula 1 humour.
0: Great. So, Kunal, let's start with the 22-race calendar. Uh, I was in uh, Sebastian Vettel's media session in Spa and he said that he preferred the good old days, you know, 16-odd races or so. In fact, he's been talking about a shorter calendar for a long time now. Uh, Kunal, are you one of those people who'd rather have less races on the calendar?
2: Well, you know, time-wise and so that I can live my non-Formula 1 life, yes, I would prefer lesser races on the calendar. But of course, more races means more money. So I can be a little gritty at times. So I'll sort of figure a way to, you know, put in 22 races in my (laughs) calendar. I thought
0: you meant more money for the spot, but okay.
2: (laughs) Well, in, in fact, here's what Nico Halkenberg said after he was asked if he would give his best to Renault despite being chucked out for 2020. Like I said, I want to score maximum and, and achieve the, the maximum we can with the team.
0: You know, weekend for weekend, race for race. Um, we're still in this championship and we want to finish the, the championship as high as possible. So, um, you know, drivers need to score because uh, usually you get paid in bonuses too. So, the motivation is high. Vinal, I know you love Nico Hulkenberg. In fact, I think I saw you guys high-fying each other in the paddock in Spa, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> go, we, we go back several years into our Force India days. Yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I know it's hard for you to be objective, but do you think he'll be around in Formula 1 in 2020?
2: Well, here's how I assess the situation. And my assessment is that of Hulkenberg. And, you know, he, he seemed fairly calm and relaxed while he was talking about being replaced by Ocon. And it almost felt like he knew what he was going to do next year and probably was just waiting for the right time to make an announcement.
0: For all we know, Liberty Media just wants to space out all the driver announcements for next year, you know?
2: Yeah, or, you know, maybe Hulkenberg uh, needs time to sort of negotiate with Haas, who knows? Because uh, unconfirmed salary salary reports, you know, the ones that we keep reading time and again, put Hulkenberg as one of the top 10 spend- uh, earners in Formula 1, not spenders, sorry. <laughs> but maybe he's looking at earning the same salary or a little bit more at Haas. You know, Hulkenberg will know, and in fact, we all know that Haas really needs uh, someone to help their technical troubles from 2019. So, you know, that's probably where the discussion is all stuck.
0: And likewise, you know, Haas knows that he's out of a drive and that they're using that to negotiate a lower rate, possibly. Whether Hulkenberg deserves to be in Formula One or not, Kunal, that is a different discussion altogether. I can't be having that with you. You
2: are too (laughs) biased. Well, very small biases, but yes, I would agree. We won't
0: have that. I would agree to a
2: bias. Yes. (laughs) So, what are the paddock experiences from Spa? Would you like to share with our listeners?
0: Okay, it's a really long list, but I'm going to start by saying that Kimi Raikkonen is the most awesome driver there is. Uh, Guys, his media sessions in Spa they were absolutely packed with journalists. They were so full, and you know what? They were like a stand-up comedy performance. (laughs) Hilarious. Drinking is probably more safer.
2: Well, Kimi Raikkonen went from being injured and almost being replaced by none other than Marcus Ericsson to scoring the best media court and you know then sort of being tagged by Max Verstappen in the race. I mean, I think it was pretty unfortunate for Kimi Raikkonen and I know that it was a racing incident, but I do believe that Verstappen's car positioning literally called for a disaster at that time.
0: But one second, I think we should spare a thought for Marcus Ericsson. Guys, he flew all the way to Spa, only to then find out that Kimi Raikkonen was actually okay to drive, so he didn't get to drive.
2: (laughs) But Ericsson's choosing of standing in at a Formula 1 race over, you know, literally racing at IndyCar is quite telling of the pecking order of both the series in the world of motorsport.
0: Okay, so let's talk about Red Bull racing and Max Verstappen. Kudal, you know, I think uh, Verstappen's early exit in the race robbed us of a three-way fight for the battle, uh, for the lead. Um, Leclerc and Hamilton both did a one-stopper, but like Wettel, maybe Red Bull Racing would have attempted a different strategy to stay in the battle. We will never know.
2: Red Bull Racing aside, I really felt bad for the thousands of Dutch fans who came to cheer for Max Verstappen at Spa. I mean, I think I only saw orange and red everywhere. But anyway, I mean, the the only solace for Red Bull Racing would have been Alexander Albon's great drive. I mean, we know he started P17, finished P5, and I honestly loved his overtaking moves. I think, you know, in his preparations for the Red Bull Racing drive, he probably just read all of Helmut Marko's quotes on why, you know, he sort of demoted Danny Kivat and Pierre Gasly and then decided to do the exact Opposite. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I know. uh, I think Helmut Marcos said that Gasly can't overtake, like, what, last week? And then in Spa, Albon went and pulled (laughs) off all these amazing overtakes. Like, take that, helmet.
2: (laughs) You know, I honestly loved his ballsy last lap move on Sergio Perez. It was really cheeky stuff. But I can tell you guys, we are in for a Max Verstappen treat in Monza. Verstappen's taking an engine penalty for changing his Honda power unit. So, literally... Sit back and enjoy what we're going to call a Max Verstappen masterclass.
0: I'm so eager to see how the Honda engine performs on this out-and-out power circuit. Giral, all three Honda cars actually made it to the points in Spa. Yes. Not bad. Yes. And in Monza, Verstappen will be aided by DRS in these two really long straights.
2: I'm telling you, he's going to be able to overtake pretty much anywhere he wants at Monza. It is going to be a masterclass.
0: In fact, Spa and Monza are the two circuits that display the sheer speed for Formula 1 cars. You know, it's, it's a treat for all of us fans.
2: In Spa, all manufacturers had issues with their engines, barring Honda. Such strange times we actually live in. I never thought we'd say something like that on the <laughs> podcast, but here we are guys, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway,
0: uh, Renault's retirements with the McLarens, that was just eerie, right? So, Sainz's uh, uh, engine failed a lap before the start of the race, and then um, Lando has failed a lap before the end of the race. Like, <laughs> what is happening?
2: Well, you heard it here first, guys, and Mr. Ron Dennis. McLaren will reunite with Mercedes soon enough. And I think, you know, personally, the chassis is at a place, finally, where it should be. It's a mclaren great chassis, and it now needs a better engine. And... That could mean that Renault could go from being the most supplied engine to the least supplied engine on the grid in a span of two years.
0: How things can change. It's Formula 1. Anyway, back to Monza. So, we know it's Ferrari's home race. And uh, do you think they actually can win? It's been, what, nine years since Alonso won it at Monza for the Tifosi. I'm sure they're very impatient.
2: Well, Spa and Monza are two races that Ferrari should win. They already have won in Spa. And they could well still win it in Monza. And I think it's going to be down to Mercedes' tyre strategy and tyre degradation versus Ferrari's engine power. That's what the battle is going to come down to. Uh, I mean, we saw Hamilton do that to Kimi Räikkönen in Monza last year and then we almost saw a repeat of that in Spa this year, with Charles and
0: I'm just really hoping that Max Verstappen will be a factor in the whole you know, strategy equation for both teams this Sunday. Uh, of course, he's going to be starting at the back, but... I'm sure he's going to be climbing up. So let's see how many laps before he can get into the top six. And then how much deeper, you know, from the top six that he ends up finishing.
2: I think Ferrari's Netflix special episode is going to be shot in Italy this weekend. So let's really hope that they're not distracted by that.
0: And then they use that as a reason to not participate the year after. Yeah, (laughs) we all know what
2: happened in Germany with Mercedes.
0: Yeah, I also think we're going to have a few announcements in Monza, you know. Um, in fact, Monza made an announcement just when we entered the studio, guys. The Temple of Speed is going to be on the Formula 1 calendar till 2024. That is amazing news.
2: Basically, if Ferrari doesn't win this Sunday, they'll have four more years to try and win in front of the Tifosi. That's what it means.
0: <laughs> and I think Nico Hulkenberg, uh, an announcement could come up. One with Haas, I'm speculating.
2: Yeah, I mean, here, you know, here's how I see. Groshaw and Hulkenberg both have been saying that they're confident of being in Formula 1 in 2020. So could one of them actually end up going to Williams to replace Robert Kubitsa? And the other strangest thing I've seen about this silly season is the news about Esteban Ocon, not about him joining Renault, but the fact that he is going to become a Renault driver, but his career would still be managed by Mercedes. Now, Renault insists that this isn't a typical loan arrangement, you know, the kind of uh, arrangement that they had with Red Bull for Carlos Sainz Jr., but that they actually have a proper racing contract or an employment contract with Esteban Ocon. Now I somehow get this strange feeling that if Mercedes is involved in Ocon's career while He's still a Renault driver. There could be a good chance we will soon hear something to the tune of, hey, a contract is just a piece of paper after all.
0: I'm just feeling bad for Valtteri Bottas amid all of this.
2: I feel bad for Cyril.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just wonder how Renault manages to get themselves in these strange situations that just don't exude confidence. Like, you know, somehow there's such little confidence in their ability to just turn things around, despite the fact that there are some great people working there.
2: And they have some really tasty coffee in their motorhome. I mean
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> But jokes aside, I wish to see Renault build a car that makes use of Ricardo and Ocon's speed and talent. Like at the moment, you know, things are cute because they're they're putting out these employee of the month videos with Ricardo, but that's not what Ricardo is known for. I mean, apart from his humour, he is known for his speed, his performance, his ability to overtake, and nothing replaces solid on-track performances for me.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, maybe this is breaking news as well. He, uh, Esteban is also Australian. Um, <laughs> yeah, he has an Australian passport. That was
0: just hilarious. Kunal, at least we are getting laughs from Daniel Ricciardo, <laughs> if not the speed. And I also think you should start an Employee of the Month for the Inside Line Formula 1 <laughs> <laughs> podcast so I can win it every month.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Will you do such cool videos like Daniel Ricciardo? Anything. That's what it anything.
0: Point. Just want to win, Kunal.
2: <laughs> well, you know, while Ricciardo is fighting for the Employee of the Month, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc have made it to the list of the most marketable athletes on planet Earth. And guess who's been kicked out? Lewis Hamilton is off that list.
0: Yeah, Lewis Hamilton is now the what? The most marketable vegan athlete. <laughs> I think he should still leave that list. Limited competition, but still. And uh, Kunal, I can really understand why Max Verstappen is on that list. But Leclerc's entry is a bit surprising, right?
2: It is. I mean, uh, early days, you know, I, I still think... Verstappen's attitude and personality is probably what drives so many people towards him but moving on Hamilton's opened a vegan burger restaurant called Neat Burger I'm sure you guys all heard about that
0: yeah, and Kunal, I can see you looking at me with great expectation on your face, but I am not going to crack the hamburger joke again. Oops, I just did. And Kunal, we should check with him if Gerard Burger has actually partnered with
2: Hamilton no, for this business. No, you, you did not
0: You wanted me to say it. Come on. Well,
2: I read a comment online that Hamilton's burgers taste like McDonald's. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing.
0: Yeah, I think he's got some
2: serious taste development to do, but in-season taste development, that's what Hamilton's going to call it.
0: But can you imagine you go to a near burger joint and then you have like Hamilton merchandise on sale and <laughs> Hamilton's music being played and maybe his race is being telecast and I don't you know. You know,
2: you know for all I care, for me it's all about can I get a chance to drive one of Lewis Hamilton's Formula 1 cars at a neat burger joint? That's what I'm going to be looking for.
0: Yeah, I mean that would be You can have neat you can have a us. burger the weekend burger (laughs) yes
2: well so along with the what will said this week section i'm actually now going to start a what nico said this week section because nico being our 2016 formula one world champion nico rosberg
0: oh him right i thought you were going to introduce him as formula one's most famous youtube influencer (laughs) or something
2: so formula one's most famous youtube influencer nico rosberg said that Sebastian Vettel was like Rubens Barrichello in Spa.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so strange. It's like one race where Ferrari made Vettel play wingman and boom, there's this comment about him being Barrichello. Like, poor Barrichello always gets dragged into it. (laughs) (laughs) does no one think of Rubens Barrichello,
2: still. Especially if you're Nico Rosberg, you're definitely not thinking of Rubens Barrichello. But, uh, you know, I think Nico Rosberg is pretty lucky that he quit before Ferrari, and now Red Bull have started to challenge Mercedes. Because had he not kept pace with Lewis Hamilton, then there was there would have been a good chance that he would have become Hamilton's wingman and not Valtteri Bottas.
0: That's a good point.
2: Yeah. Anyway, Nico Rosberg also said that uh, Max Verstappen was back to his old and excessively aggressive ways. At the start of the Belgian Grand Prix.
0: And that was Nico Rosberg being very judgmental. Guys, it only took him, what, 200 meters that and <laughs> drove from the start line to the Le hairpin and he's coming up with these statements.
2: Right. So, closing notes before we hand it over to Lucien for his moments in time section. Formula 1 cars are going to have LED display in their wheel rims from 2021. Well, at least they will attempt something of that sort is what they're saying.
0: Yeah, and I like the thought behind that, you know, to give fans more information about their driver, the position, pit stops, etc.
2: Thoughtfully. But, yeah, I mean, guys, you should know that such an idea of an on-car display was actually put forward by Anthony Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton's father. And I also remember that, you know, there was something called as the info wing or the information wing that was tested uh, on Force India back in, the, back in 2014 or, I don't know, some year that it was. I also don't know what happened to that solution but I think it's a good, you know, step forward to try and give fans as much information about drivers as possible.
0: I also think once this uh, wheel hub LED lights thing comes up, McLaren and Racing Point are going to be in a huge rush to find a sponsor logo that will <laughs> flash there.
2: This is what I remember <laughs> happened with the Halo because McLaren went and got a one or two race sponsor and then Racing Point just went and got like a season-long sponsor <laughs> purely for the Halo. But that means that th- this could be like a shootout between Zach Brown and Steve Kernow, my former colleague at Force India. And uh, the other aspect of 2020 that I can't really you know, wait for uh, is Formula 1 testing new formats during certain Grand Prix weekends. Of course, a lot has not been said about this yet. But I already heard that a new qualifying format might be attempted.
0: Kunal, frankly, I don't think the current three-part qualifying uh, format is the root of our problem. Or, you know, the problem at all. And we all know what happened when they tried to change it a few years ago. You know, the notorious elimination-based qualifying system in, what, 2016? That was
2: a disaster. Yes, it was. And, you know, this isn't anything new. Another addition... But, I'm not sure how many of you actually noticed the use of a black and white flag being waved at Spa, and if, I, if my memory is right, it was for Kevin Magnussen. Well, this flag is basically Formula One's yellow flag.
0: And Kunal, it's not any surprise that the first driver to be black-white flagged in a Formula One race after many, many years was... Kevin Magnuson. I could have
2: guessed. I mean, it's a yellow card equivalent from the world of football. I mean, I hope you guys know what the sport of football is because I know very little about it. Okay, so the Temple of Speed, the Ferrari's home race, Parabolica, Lesbos, all of that is coming up in a few days' time. But before that, here's over to Lucien for his moments in time from the Italian Grand
1: Prix. Welcome to Moments in Time on the Inside Line with Lucien Byfield. Today we shall look back on the history of the Italian Grand Prix. Look up the amazing crash in 1981 for John Watson, testing out the strength of the new carbon fibre chassis, proving John Barnard's genius at the time. Christian Fittipaldi was to have a crash so unique in 93 that it almost looks like a cartoon. He would flip his car across the finish line after colliding with teammate Martini and land perfectly straight, continuing along a white line in perfect order, as if on a scale trick track. Derek Warwick would test out his dodgy 1990 Lotus by slamming it into the guardrail coming onto the main straight, sliding upside down and with his helmet scraping on the ground. Now he would take the restart, clearly more brawn than brains. Monza has a very tainted history too regarding fatalities for both drivers and spectators. A marshal would be killed in 2000, when a massive collision saw multiple cars crash out of the race. Sadly, Ronnie Peterson was to lose his life after a massive shunt in 78. Posthumous world champion in 1970, Jochen Rindt, was also to lose his life here in qualifying, yet had such a points haul that he still won the title even though the season was not over. The list goes on with the death of Wolfgang von Tripps in 1961, also killing 14 spectators. There were final career wins for John Surtees in 1967, driving for Honda, Heinz-Harold Frentzen driving for Jordan in 1999, and that was the race when Mika Hakkinen spun out of an easy lead and was later seen crying under the trees. And let us not forget Rubens Barrichello winning for the last time in 2009, driving for Braun. In 1971, we saw the closest finish in Formula 1 history, with Peter Gethin beating Ronnie Peterson with the top five covered by .61 of a second. In 2001, Juan Pablo Montoya would win for the first time in Formula One for the Williams BMW team. Jackie Stewart would get his first career win in 1965. Sebastian Vettel would also get his first career win and at the time become the youngest winner in Formula One history. Michael Schumacher would win at Monza in his first year with Ferrari, after hitting a tyre bundle at the Chicane, the same bundle that would take out championship leader Hill and others like Irvine and Villeneuve. Damon would have won the title that day had he kept his lead and won. In 1993 we saw Prost nearly win for the 52nd time, but with a few laps to go his engine blew up, costing the Professor the chance of a truly dominant and deserved final GP career win. Well, that's it for moments in time on the inside line with Lucien Barfield. Forza Ferrari. terci a tutti.
0: Yeah, Kunal, you know what? Uh, maybe uh, my memory
2: is a bit dated,
0: but I was really miffed when Lewis Hamilton overtook Raikkonen for the lead of the race at the Italian Grand Prix last year. It still hurts.
2: You know, it hurts, yes, <laughs> okay. But I have to say, I have to ask you this. What are you going to do when Kimi Raikkonen retires? Because okay. Not talk about that. <laughs> Because when we were in Spa, almost all your stories were about Raikkonen and you spotting him and you being in his media session and all of that. So I, I'm not surprised that your memory of Spa or Monza is Raikkonen being overtaken <laughs> last year. But anyway, my memory of the Italian Grand Prix was back in 26, or 2006 when uh, Michael Schumacher won and then was forced to announce his retirement from Formula One that was a really really sad moment I remember that
0: I agree with you anyway I'm gonna now ask you for your predictions Kunal I hope you're ready okay the, I think the big question is can Ferrari finally win in Monza can they do it
2: well I think they've got the speed the straight line speed they are going to use you know the spec3 upgraded engine for Wettle and Leclerc from this uh, you know weekend as well. I really hope that their tyre wear is in order because I think Ferrari will probably have to use one of their drivers as a wingman once again if they want to keep the Mercedes drivers at bay.
0: You know what? I I also think it's going to be a Ferrari on top and I think it's going to be Sebastian Vettel that wins this one. And I really hope he does. You know, he needs a bit of uh, luck, I'd say.
2: On that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you a couple of days after Monza. Have fun. Adios.
0: Adios.
1: I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite
0: you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising a Pro. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.